welcome to the Encounter Christian Church Message Podcast, where we bring you the latest messages from our Sunday services. To find out more about Encounter or to plan your visit with us, you can find us online at www.encounter.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, we're in week two of Strokes and Swings. So why don't we just close our eyes? I just want to pray over the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that the loudest voice would be your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would speak into every heart what you want each person to hear this morning, words that would encourage us, words that would challenge us, and words that would inspire us, and I pray that you would guide and lead us, and I just thank you, Lord, that, that there's things in this room that we can't even see. There is a spirit world we're not even aware of, Father, and I just pray for your breakthrough in people's lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good prayers. You know, I just really felt in worship too. I just sensed that in worship, there's people, there was some, there was chains being broken off people's lives when we were worshiping. I had this sense of chains being snapped on people. And uh, we're in week two. And last week we did week one, which was on financial health. This week we're going to be doing relationship health, which is, is another good, practical, relevant thing that we all need in our lives. And, and just to give people who weren't here last week, why is it called strokes and swings? Well, they're rowing terms. So I talked about that rowers, when you watch the Olympics and you know, they, they've got the, the boats and they're going down the lakes or these beautiful rivers or whatever, canals, and, and you've got the boat and you've got like whatever six or eight girls or guys in the boat rowing. Well, you have a person at the very back of the boat, and that's called the coach. And I talked about when they row, rowers row backwards, right? They're rowing forwards, but they're facing backwards. So it's like us in our boat. We're, we're looking to the back of the boat, but we're going forward, and, and you can see the past. You can see where you've been. You can see the journey you've been on, but you don't know where you're going. Only God knows the future. We can hope that we're going in the right direction, but we're, we're looking at our past. But in the back of the boat, where you're looking down, you're seeing the coach. The coach is the guy or the girl at the back of the boat who's not rowing. And you're kind of thinking, get in there with the oars yourself and help us. We're trying to win this race. But the coach is like God. The coach is steering the ship. You can't see where your ship or your boat's going, but the coach can. The coach is, is guiding the boat. The coach is encouraging. The coach is going faster, go faster. The coach can see the enemy to the side. You don't have to get caught up with what that person's doing or what that's happening over there. We just have to run our race. We have to just stay our course. We have to stay in our lane because the coach is looking out for the enemy. The coach is looking out for those obstacles that are coming ahead. We just have to trust that he has our best interest in heart and just listen to his voice. And then I talked about that at the very back of the boat, the first rower is called a stroke and they're right below the coach. They sit below the coach. They can see the coach's face, his expressions, his breath. His, they, they sense his tone. They can feel his emotions. And they set the pace of the boat. So the stroke is the person that all the other rowers from, from the very front one to, to second to the end, they can actually see that, that rower. And they're watching him or her. And they set the pace. So when the coach is going, go quick, they're rowing, rowing. And everybody else goes in unison. Everybody else rows at the same pace. When the stroke slows down, everybody slows down. And the, the stroke can be in any business. could be the owner. It could be, could be the boss in a family. It's the parents in a church. It's the pastor. And so if we're not all doing our oars and rowing at the same rate, then we go, I'm not doing it that way. This is my, I'm doing it this way. I'm doing it this way. I'm going to put my, I'm, I want to go quicker. I don't care if everyone's just going slower. The whole boat will just go in circles and become a mess. That's why we've got to be unified. Everyone in the boat has to be unified. Our oars have to hit the water at the exact same mo mo moment. They have to come out at the same moment. And see, as we stroke in unison as one, listening to the voice at the coach, 
then that's what the swing is. The swing is that almost effortless glide in the water when all the oars are out at the same time as they hit. It's like a rhythm. And that's when it, it looks like it's easy. And they're working hard, but it's, it's the unity that causes that momentum. And so these messages that we're doing over the next two weeks after this week is about you and I getting our life, getting our strokes in unison with the God's words, with God's ways, following him. And as we do and live our life according to his strokes, his word, his doings, his way, his rhythm, then your life will gain, afford momentum into his purposes and what he's called you to be. Last week, we spoke about finances, and we talked about budgeting, we talked about stewardship, we talked about putting God first. I threw it out there that we need some new chairs, you know, we need to get rid of the red chairs here, we need some new chairs, so, you know, I threw it out there that it's, you know, it's about 27 grand, so encourage you to, to get on board, but somebody had a great suggestion, they said, why don't you, why don't you just get, ask people to donate a chair, or two chairs, so we'll throw it out there, if, if you want to go, hey, I can do one chair. Or you might want to do, I can do a chair for me and a chair for a friend or the friend I'm believing God for. That person you're praying for to come to church, buy a chair for yourself and one for them as an act of faith. It's $80 a chair. That's how much the chairs are costing. So if you want to, in our, our giving at the end of the service, you know, on the card, if you want to say chair, $160, $80, go for it. Direct debit, put chair on the reference and we'll make sure it goes to that. So there's another plug for chairs. The chairs aren't for me, they're for you. They're for your bottom. Okay, relationships. Rowing with God's rhythm and pace in our relationships. See, all through the Bible, we see relationships. All through it, because it's full of people. There's lots of healthy relationships in the Bible, and there's a lot of really, really unhealthy relationships. You know, reading the Bible actually makes you feel good about yourself and your relationships many times, because they, they got some crazy weird stuff in the Bible, some of those people. They weren't, some of them were doing the right thing, others weren't doing the right thing. So there's a lot we can learn about relationships in the Bible. And the Bible says where two or more are gathered, Jesus is in our midst, but where two or more of us humans are gathered, there's conflict in our midst. There's issues in our midst, isn't there? There's, there's, there's always something going on. You know, even best of friends, you can be friends for 20 years and you can have disagreements, you can have arguments. It doesn't mean it's a bad friendship, it just means it's a normal friendship. You know, sometimes people think, oh, I'm fighting with my partner all the time. It must be a bad relationship. No, no, every relationship has issues. Every relationship has arguments and friction and stuff going on. It's just, that's just a part of life. It, it's healthy to sometimes have little disputes and you get over them and recover. In the Garden of Eden, it started there, Adam and Eve. There was a bit of an issue. Then there was an issue between them and God. From the beginning, there was issues with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. The thing is this, when, as I'm going through this message, is the biggest thing with issues in relationships, it's generally a, a matter of um, an expectation gap. This person expects this, and this person here expects that. And the bigger that expectation gap is, the more the friction or the more the issue. The, the shorter that is, the, the, the less kind of issues there can be because we're of the same values, we have a same mindset. We know where we stand on this issue. But when I think I, this is how we should stand and you're over here thinking, no, no, this is how we stand, we're not really even talking about it, then that's where often you know, our expectations get disappointed and we get upset. The key paragraph scripture that we're going to look at today is one in the Bible where Jesus basically, if you could sum up the whole Bible, if, if you're here for the first time, we're great you're here, this is why we exist, and you just are like, just tell me what it's all about in, in one paragraph. Well, this is what Jesus says the whole Bible's about in one paragraph. 
And this scripture is what God's expectation is of you and me. What does God expect of me? Well, this pretty well sums up what he expects of you. It's Matthew 22, 37 to 39, and this is from the message version. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list, to love the Lord with all your heart. But there is a second set alongside it, and it's love others as well as you love yourself. And he said, that, that sums up the whole Bible. This sums up all the prophets, all the wisdom. It's basically love God, putting first in everything we do, and love our neighbor as ourself. And there's another scripture in Corinthians, and it says, you know, you could have all the wisdom in the world. You could, have, you could be the most smartest human on earth. You could have as many degrees as, as you know, you could put up your arm. You, you, can, you can have spiritual kind of power where you just say the word and, and people are healed. You, you, you can prophesy the future and have visions and dreams of, of heaven. You, you can have all these things. But the Bible says if you don't have love, then it's just a big blah. It's just a clanging, ringing symbol going rah, 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 rah. People want to see the love in your heart, not, not the qualifications and all the wisdom and, and knowledge we have and scripture is about that it's just about loving each other and loving yourself and God so the first heading for people taking notes today is for healthy relationships you need to love yourself oh really doesn't the bible say I've got to deny myself doesn't mean you're not loving yourself a good self-esteem is really important how can you love Jesus saying how can you love someone else or value them we don't value yourself you don't know what value, if you can't value who you are, how are you going to understand the concept of valuing another person? You know, we, we say, oh, I should lay down my life for others. Yes, that's not saying that you don't love yourself. That just says you're not selfish. But God wants us to know who we are in him and to value who we are. When we don't value who we are, we're actually devaluing God's handiwork. We're actually devaluing God when you say, I hate myself. I, I don't like myself. And often when we get to a point where we're not happy with ourselves, it is that expectation gap. I expected that I'd be married by 25, I'm 27, I'm, I'm, it's all over for me. And I hate myself, I must be ugly. Or I expected by 33, I'd be retired. My dad was retired at 33 and look at me, I'm, I'm still working at Coles. What, what's going on? I must be bad, I'm not good, I'm not like my father. You know, often our self-hate comes from an expectation that we have for ourselves that we've disappointed ourselves. Oh, I said that. I'm so terrible. I shouldn't say that to people. I didn't mean... I expect... Why don't we just get to a point where we're just happy with where we are in life? You know, a, a point where we go, you know what? I'm okay where I'm at at this point in life. This is where I am. Don't have these expectations at times that, that cause this gap. You know, this is where God's got me, and I'm going to be satisfied... Well, I'm in his perfect plan right now, and that's good enough for me. There's a scripture in Genesis, Genesis 1.26. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature. See, God has created you in his image. Now think about this. The creator of the heavens and the earth and the galaxies and the universes created human beings in his image. Like you are a, an image, you are a, a, a stamp, the, the DNA of God in his nature is inside you. No matter who you are, you have incredible value. God shows you before you were born. The Bible says that he knew who you were, he knew of you. There's another scripture here in Psalm 139, 14. And this is from King David. This is kind of, you know, you could say he's a bit arrogant, really, when you read this. But let's, let's hear it out. 
This is David talking to God, King David. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. Like, it, he's this, but what he's saying is, look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my fingernails and my eyes. I can see and ears I can hear and I have a heart that beats and there's no electricity or batteries or power. This, this being somehow survives without some external force. You're like, a, you're like a house off the grid just flowing in just this God's creation. And so he's celebrating how good God is and he's glorifying God. So when we put ourselves down, we're actually degrading God's creation that he made a mistake with you. But God doesn't make mistakes. So how do you love yourself more? Well, David's confessing the word over himself here. He's confessing God's word. And when I was first a Christian, I was about 18, I had a terrible self-esteem. And God started to speak to me, identity. He started to say to me, you're, the son, you're my son. You're, you're a king of heaven. You're an ambassador of heaven. And I started to go, wait a minute. No, I'm not. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I kept, and then I was like, wait a minute. I'm arguing with God, and I'm telling him that he's wrong and I'm right. I was like, well, who do I think I am? If he says I'm this, then it is. My perception's not the right perception. His way's the right one. I've got to get my stroke in rhythm and in pace with what he says about me and what he says about you. And so I started reading the Bible and speaking it over my life, confessing it. I, was, I would walk around. I am an ambassador of the Most High God. I, I am represent another kingdom on this earth, that I'm part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I am a king of heaven because of Christ, that I'm a son of the Most High God, that greater is he that lives inside of me, the Holy Spirit, than anything that lives in this world, that as I look out on the mountains, greater and more powerful than they that are for me, than they that are against me. I would speak and confess it, and the Bible says that the Word of God washes over our minds and it renews our thinking. Our thinking can begin to change, and you actually step into who you really are when you believe what God says about you. That's called loving yourself. The second heading for today is, for healthy relationships, you need to show love to others. You've got to love yourself. Maybe the reason you're struggling with relationships is because of you're not loving yourself. So you're finding it hard to love others. So we've got to start loving ourselves so that we can love others. You were created to be in relationship. Genesis 2.18 says, God said it's not good for man to be alone. From the very beginning in the garden, you were created as a relational being. There's a lie out there. Sometimes we think, oh, I, I can do it on my own. I'm gonna, I, I don't want to be with people. I, I, I'm a bit of a hermit. I don't like others. But you were never created to be alone. You were created to do life with others. See, God created Adam and Eve to be in relationship with him firstly. That's why he created you, to be in relationship. That was the first reason for the relationship. Even when we go to like, well, if you're a missionary back in 1830 and you left England and you went to some South Pacific island, even the people that lived in isolation on these islands would worship a God. But they never heard of a God, but they'd worshipped a God. See, built into the DNA of every human is this God void, this God space. Within the fabric of every human, there, there is this aspect that we naturally want to worship a higher power. That was how you were made. You were born for relationship with the Creator. It's, it's, it's in your, the manual of who you are. And then Adam and Eve, we, we were built to have relationship with other people. And, you know, even the social science um, theories of today and, and, and universities have realized what the Bible has said for thousands of years, that we were meant to be in relationship with people and that the best learning in education is through being in groups with people 
that we learn from others and we assimilate, that, 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 that we are created for connection with people. People that are isolated often have heart issues. There's a lot of physical issues that can cr be created um, medically when we live in isolation. So there's so much about doing life with others. The best soil for a healthy relationship is when expectations between the parties involved is aligned, where it's realistic. You know, it's realistic expectations. Let me explain. You guys are doing well today. Everyone's looking at me, staring at me. No one's, nobody's like on their phones. I'm looking for someone so I can pick on. No, I won't. It's, think of it this way, okay? You're a married couple. You got some high school age kids. It's Friday night and they're off at youth group. Going to youth group. Only time of the whole week when no one's home. The husband, he's thinking, you know, we're alone, sweetie. We're, you know, it's Friday night. The kids are out. You know, the Bible says this is a good thing that, you know, we, you know, have relationship. <laughs> and the wife's thinking in her head, oh, Friday night, I can sit down, just watch some TV and chill. You have these different expectations, men and women, on the same, what, what's about to happen. And when those expectations are disappointed or dashed, there's arguments, there's friction, there's trouble. And it's a little example, but, but having expectations that are closer to who you're with or your partner or whatever, work, people, then there's less friction when we're on the same page. You need to sow your seeds into the right soil for relationships. Like I said last week, you know, if you want to um, have financial health, you've got to invest financial seeds. Financial seeds for relationship aren't really going to help your finances unless, like I said last week, you got divorced and you lose all your money. So all these things are connected, relationships and finances. But we've got to plant the seeds for good relationship. You don't plant apple seeds and expect a pear. That's crazy stuff, right? So if you want an apple tree, you've got to plant apple seeds. So if you're at work 24 hours a day, you're earning great money, that's great. You're building a career. You're doing the seeds to have a good career and the seeds for financial wealth because you're working hard. But if you've got a young family, it may not be the right seeds to build a good, close-knit family. So sometimes we've got to balance life. Or if I want a good family, I've got to sow those seeds of good relationship with my children and with my spouse. Bad seeds, what would be bad seeds to build in a relationship? Well, lying, deception, unfaithfulness. If we plant those seeds in our relationship, you're going to get the fruit of an unhealthy relationship. But if we plant the seeds of, I've got some written down here, pre-ordered for myself, wherever they are. Kindness, acts of love, gifts, respect, encouragement, trust, faithfulness, integrity, being a good listener, listening to people. Forgiveness. If we practice those things, they are the good seeds for a good relationship. They will produce the fruit of a good relationship. But if we don't put the right seeds in, we're not going to get the right fruit. Colossians 3, 12 to 13 says this. Since you've been chosen by God, who has given you this new kind of life, and because of his deep love and concern for you, you should practice tender-hearted mercy, kindness to others, don't worry about making a good impression on them, but be ready to suffer quietly and patiently. Be gentle, ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Sometimes something happens to us. We want to run around and tell everybody. It's human nature, isn't it? You wonder what they said to me. And they, the Bible just said, suffer in quietness. 
Just forgive, forgive, forgive. You know what forgiveness is like? It's the reset button. It's the reset button of a relationship. It's like, you know, when your computer's glitching and it's glitching, and if you just keep using it and using it and using it, and it's not going to be, sometimes you just got to turn it off and turn it on again. That's the greatest IT advice, isn't it? Just turn it on and turn it off again. That's from IT Crowd, the TV show. Turn it off, turn it on. Reset button. Forgiveness is the reset button. It's where you stop and say, in your heart, I forgive. I'm letting that offense go. I'm just going to forgive. It's a clean slate. It's, it's like a fresh start again. We don't always have to go up. I've had someone come up to me once, and they said, I forgive you for what you said last year. I said, oh, what did I say? They said, I'm not telling you if you don't remember. <laughs> oh, I wanted to know then. Like, what did I do? What did I say? I'm not telling you. If you can't remember, well, I'm not talking about it. Oh, um, well, please forgive me for whatever I said. I don't know what I said, but I generally didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sure it must have been bad for you to tell me. But so you don't always have to go up to someone and say, I forgive you for what you did. Not always have to. Sometimes you just need to release them in your heart and, and I forgive and I'm, I'm going to let it go. Other times you've got to pray about There might be times with family and they know that you've been offended. Maybe there is a time when you say, hey, look, I just want you to know I forgive you for that. I know you asked me to forgive and I wouldn't, but I'm forgiving you. You're releasing them and you're releasing yourself with forgiveness. It's a clean slate when you forgive. It heals you as much as it heals them. Healthy, number three point. Healthy relationships with God overflows into healthy relationship with others, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you're always in conflict with people and other people, maybe your actual issue is with God. Maybe you have unfinished business with God. Maybe there was an expectation that God, that person died. They weren't supposed to die. That, I was never supposed to get that disease. I was never supposed to get, why did that happen? You promised me that this would happen. You promised me. You, you had a dream as a young man or a young woman, and it hasn't happened yet. And that expectation doesn't get met. Then there's that gap. And then we can actually have a resentment towards God in our heart. And sometimes that can come out in a relationship with others if, if we don't make peace with God. You know, sometimes we need to forgive God. He doesn't need your forgiveness, but you need it in your heart to forgive him. He wants you to forgive him, even though he's probably done nothing wrong or he hasn't done anything wrong, but it's healthy for you to forgive him, to let him go of that. I've gone to God and said, I've, that didn't happen, it disappointed me, I'm not happy about it, I, I'm, I'm forgiving you in my heart. It's not helping him, it's helping me release that thing. What am I doing? I'm pressing a reset button with God. Okay, it's a new day, it's a new start. You know, the Bible says that when we give our heart to Jesus and he comes and lives with us, he forgives us of our sins, he's given you a restart. He's going, I forgive you. You are released of the past. It's a new day. There's a clean slate. The Bible says that you're a new creation when you accept Christ and you confess your sins. It's a forgiveness thing. It's a new start for your whole life. I'm about to conclude here. I feel like I just started this message. That's been... We're having communion this morning, so it is slightly shorter. That's why it's... We're going to have communion this morning. But if the music guys could come up, we're going to start to conclude and we're going to, we're going to do communion because communion is about relationship. Communion is a reset button for people. Communion is a time where, where, where we look at what Jesus did for us and forgave us. But can I encourage you that as you're looking at yourself and as you're looking at relationships with other people and your relationship with God... 
to get your strokes in rhythm with God's word. God's word says to sow those seeds of kindness, sow those seeds of forgiveness, sow those seeds of love and, and, and reap the rewards of a healthy relationship. Maybe you just need to talk to that other person about what are you expecting out of this relationship? What was your expectation of me that I let you down? Because mine was this and yours was, okay, let's, let's find some common ground. I know where you're coming from now and hey, let's, let's find expectation that's realistic for both of us. And so God's expectation for you is that you would love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, that you would put him first in your life and that you would love others as yourself, that we don't talk bad about others, that we forgive it's hard when we get offended. But God wants us to walk in, a, in with a reset button for people, being forgiving, 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 letting it go. Peter said to Jesus, how many times must I forgive? And he said, 70 times seven. Just forgive people and let the offense go. Then your, your boat is in unison with God. Your boat is in unison with His Word. And then you'll get that swing. A whole new relationship can develop. You know, relationships with other people. And uh, if the attendants could start handing out communion. And if you're here for the first time, you don't have, it's up to you. We're cool. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. You want to do it. That's up to you. We're easy. We're not offended. But what is this about? See, the night before Jesus was crucified, he had a dinner party with his friends because he's relational. He hung out with his mates and they were having the Passover, the Jewish Passover. And they had a lamb, roast lamb. It was a great meal. I would have loved to have been there. And then he had bread and he got the bread and he broke it and he gave it to each of his disciples, other young men. And he said, eat this bread in remembrance of me because Jesus was going to be crucified the next day. They didn't know it. They didn't understand what he was doing. They're like, okay, we'll eat this bread and this is your body broken for us. Yeah, whatever you say, Jesus, I'm sure it's one of these wacky things Jesus says that we never get. And then he got the red wine. They had a cup of red wine. And he drank a bit and he passed it around to each of them and said, drink this red wine. This is my blood that is spilt for you. You think that's a bit weird, is it? Like, you know, okay, Jesus, we'll drink this, pretend it's your blood. Like it's, what he was saying was tomorrow I'm going to be a lamb that is slaughtered. I am going to be crucified upon the cross. And the Passover that they were celebrating was an event that happened thousands of years ago when Israel left Egypt. And the night before they left Egypt, God said to him to, to eat a, a roast lamb and to get the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost like a sign. And that God was going to send an angel of death and he would pass over every house that had the lamb in it and had the blood on the doorpost. And he only went to the homes that didn't have the lamb and the blood. And the firstborn son died in all those houses, which was the Egyptians' houses. That was his judgment. And so Jesus, that, that's a picture that lamb is a picture, it was a prophecy of what would be to come. And that Jesus is described as the lamb of God. And that he would be crucified, that his blood would be spilt. And that when we accept him into our life, the lamb comes and lives in our heart and the blood is on our doorpost of our life. And that the angel of death passes over us and we live for eternity in heaven. That's what the Passover means. And Jesus was the representation, the actual Passover. Jesus on the cross said, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. See, this Passover, this communion that we're having in remembrance of Him is a reset button. And we're going to partake of this in a moment. And when we do, why don't we, we stand? Let's stand. I'm going to, let's pray over this. Let's, let's make this a holy moment, if that's okay. 
if there's somebody in your heart that maybe you know you need to forgive, no matter how, how hard it is, maybe you need to forgive yourself. It's okay, guys. Won't. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you did something when you were younger and maybe it was illegal. Maybe it was horrible. But you know what? Today's the day to forgive. Today's the day to let it go. Today's the day to say, Jesus, if you've forgiven me, I've got to forgive myself because I'm not greater than you. If you've forgiven me, well, who am I to not forgive myself? You know, maybe some of you here are disappointed with God, something happened. Maybe this is a moment of reset where you say, Lord, I forgive you. This is a new day, a clean slate. Don't leave this place the same. I'm going to pray, and, and as I pray, I just want you to think, and, and if you need to forgive someone in your heart, you just forgive them in your heart. In your heart. If you need to forgive, forgive God, just forgive God. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for sending Jesus, Lord, that, that in him we are a new creation, that today we have a clean slate. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins, Father, and if we have any unforgiveness towards anyone else, Father, we release them and we forgive them right now, Father. And we ask and we remember you today and what you did on that cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To stay in touch with Encounter, follow us on Instagram at encounter.cc or find us on Facebook at encounter.shepparton.